This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mix in just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Pauly, and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 243 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. Hi everybody. Tracy's having a giggling fit. (laughs) (laughs) Hope y'all have had a great weekend. Yes, we do. We want to start off by thanking all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank all of you for what you do. We love you guys so much. We still pray for you every single day. Thank you for being our angels and keeping us safe. We have a a really good show lined up for you tonight. I just want to get this in real quick. Um, We have an interview with Troy Taylor, one of my idols in this business. He's coming up a little bit later. Uh, We've got a really cool story that is one of these stories that I have never heard of, but it's got tons of information, which is only happens a handful of times, and we're going to have all the details on the cruise later. So before that, we obviously want to talk about anybody who might be struggling right now, uh, whether it be due to COVID, whether it be to financial crisis, maybe it's a relationship situation. We just want you to know that there is somebody out there for you, that somebody could be us, that somebody could be any, any member of our group, uh, that somebody could be Talkspace or any other a professional uh, counseling service. Talkspace is actually sponsoring this episode. You'll hear from them later. Uh, or it could just be the National Suicide Hotline, which is what, Tracy? 1-800-273-8255. Or you can text them at 741-741. Yeah, we just want to make sure you know that no matter what your situation is, you are loved, you are cared for, even if you don't realize it. It doesn't matter what your head is telling you because sometimes we can be our worst enemies your head will be telling you that nobody wants you around that you're worthless you're just not um, somebody that anybody cares about and that's 100% wrong it's always all lies The, the mind likes to poison itself sometimes and you know, stay out of your head sometimes and do that by talking to other people just reach out to somebody is the is the message we've got plenty of love to give you absolutely as usual, this episode is brought to you by El Yucateco Hot Sauce, the number one habanero-based hot sauce in the United States. Top 10 out of all hot sauces. Hashtag king of flavor. Tracy. What? We've had a lot of people writing in. We want If you try El Yucateco, take a picture and send it to oh, us. Oh, we've had a lot of people doing that. And they, awesome. they love it when we post, post that <laughs> stuff and tag them. They do. They absolutely love it. They've been posting a lot of recipes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, lately, but I absolutely love the Chipotle. It, that's not one you can usually find in the store. It's one that you usually will have to order online, but trust me, it is worth it. It's it's really good on like breakfast burritos. It's a smoky, sweet, smoky flavor. So it's not like when you think hot sauce, you don't think smoky, but that's, it's got this Chipotle one does. 
Man, I'd like to have a daggone breakfast burrito about now. Well. Shoot. Can we put the show on pause for a minute? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But if you can't find them in your store, which that one you're probably not going to find in your store, go to lyoucatako.com, put in Hillbilly Horror, and you're going to save 10% on your complete purchase. And they've got a bunch of cool merchandise, too. Shirts and caps and... A cool bottle opener. Yeah. I got sunglasses and socks. They have socks, y'all. Socks. <laughs> yeah, we've given away all that stuff at, at uh, the book signings and shows and stuff like that. But go to lyoucatako.com, or you can go to your major grocer and get usually the... They usually have two or three different types mm-hmm. I've found at the grocery stores. Uh, the traditional red and the traditional green you can find most places. So And you can't go wrong either way. True that. All right, Tracy, I'm excited about the Troy Taylor interview. Mm, and I we know actually, you are. And we actually got video of that. So eventually we'll put the, the episode out tonight. And one day this week I'll put out the video to it if somebody okay, wants to awesome. watch that. Are we ready to get into the story? I'm ready. So I'm excited because I ran across a haunting in North Carolina. And not only had I not heard of it, but as I mentioned earlier, it had tons of paranormal stories associated with it. And that's just usually not the case. As a matter of fact, I can only think of three or four times since we've been doing this show when I found a relatively unknown story that had this much info on it. Oh, gosh. The location that we're going to focus on tonight in this story is the Price Jones, and I believe it's called Gasse house Mm -hmm. i've seen i looked up how to pronounce this word and i got three different sites and three different pronunciations oh shoot but apparently it's a russian name so if i'm pronouncing it wrong it's g-a-u-s-e but i think it's gasse okay that sounds good i like it so the price jones gasse house it's in wilmington north carolina the house was built in 1843 by the price family now i didn't find a whole lot of information on the actual price family so like i don't really have names i have the price family okay so, I'm just giving you the heads up that okay. usually, don't think I got lazy on this one. I just couldn't find a lot of information on them. They must, must be private. Right. And you know what they say about real estate. It's location, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Well, that may just be the problem here. The location uh-huh. may be the problem. May be the problem, huh? The house was built on a location named Hanging Hill. Well, that doesn't sound appetizing at all. Well, how do you think it got its name? Um, they hung some people up on the hill. Absolutely. This was the site that the town would build up their gallows and they would erect the gallows there and hang convicted thieves and murderers during the 17 and the 1800s there. If no one claimed their bodies, they were then buried on the same hill. Oh, well, so, that's convenient. But they didn't have to take them very far. That's true. I wonder if they even took them, you know, took the rope off or anything or if they just... just um, Put it all I'm pretty there. sure sanitation wasn't the big thing back in the day. They probably just <laughs> used the same rope. Buried human remains were found several years ago on the property when some workmen were putting up a fence and they disturbed a very old unmarked grave. The workmen actually found bones with bits of cloth and some metal. And there were no records of any family members that were ever actually born on the property. Mm-hmm. So we don't think it was a family member. It's believed that it was either one of the criminals that was hanged there or the remains of a slave or maybe a Native American from the colonial days. Hmm. The bones were reburied underneath the basement brick floor for the house. This was done with the intention that maybe the soul of the body would be able to rest. 
Uh, as you're going to see, that's not really the case. Oh. <laughs> Apparently, it didn't get, it didn't get any rest. They didn't like their new home. No. From the very first day that the Price family moved into their house, the spirit made itself known. Wow. Whether it was the spirit of the bones or whether it's the spirit of something else, but something made itself known. And this was a brand new house. They built this house. Well, he didn't waste no time, did he? No. So this is a prime example of it's not always the, the house. house. Yeah. Sometimes it's the land. The first incident happened after dinner one night. Well, before I tell you about the incident, I want to tell you more about the house. Okay. So, so as I tell you some of these things, you'll have an idea of, of how it was laid out. It's a beautiful brick home. It was designed and constructed by the Price family, like I said. They spared no expense. It had exquisite furnishings and unique architectural features. It originally had 12 large rooms, a very wide hallway, a beautiful spiral staircase that led up to a huge second floor. Some of the unique features of the house that I spoke about earlier were like banisters, floors, and moldings that were all made from imported wood. Ooh, fancy. Like like the wood there wasn't as good. Yeah. Like they got better trees. What they got to be a wood else. snob for. Yeah. Material used to make the 14-inch thick brick walls had originally been used as a ballast in a sailing ship, and the wide hardwood floors were then held together by pegs and not nails. Pegs. So do you think that's more sturdier, pegs I, than nails? I, I mean, I would think. I would think it's probably a better look, maybe. Mm, true. True story. So, I don't know. So back to the prices and the events after dinner that evening. So the family's in the dining room. And they just finished eating. They was having some light conversation. The entire family clearly hears the sound of a very large person, presumably a man, walking up the staircase and then walking in the upstairs hallway. The men in the family jump up out of their seats. They run up the stairs, but they don't see anybody up there. They come back downstairs, and the footsteps immediately start up again upstairs. Uh-huh. So then most of the men went back upstairs, but they kept someone at the bottom of the stairs just to make sure mm-hmm. if somebody came past, yeah, they, would they wouldn't going to be able to, to get past them. Mm-hmm. They looked in every room, under the beds, inside the closets, and even on the roof outside any open windows. As you can guess, they found no one. These sounds of someone going up the stairs and walking around upstairs in the hallway continued on not only for years but for decades oh my gosh so i guess they just got used to it the family grew accustomed to having this happen and they just accepted the fact that it was a noisy ghost but had never had it cause any kind of harm to anyone so they were okay with it it also didn't seem to grow with any intensity so it basically stayed the same all Mm -hmm. those years that was it Friends and relatives who visited weren't always as accepting as the ghost. (laughs) They would get freaked out when charging footsteps would suddenly come up behind them. And then they would eventually calm down once the family explained to them that it was just a docile spirit Mm -hmm. that really wasn't trying to do any harm. It just liked to play around. Now, this isn't to say that the ghost didn't do some things that aggravated the prices. It liked to move and hide objects, sometimes hide them so well that they were never found again. (laughs) Now, the most common occurrence was the taking off of bedspreads and blankets while someone was sleeping. Oh, man, that would aggravate me. Well, and it it had a pattern, okay? 
So the blankets would be slowly pulled off, and then as they got close to the edge or around your feet area, then it would be suddenly yanked the rest of the way off and then fall into the floor. <laughs> <laughs> this story was my favorite, though, and it's the first time that I've, that I've heard this exact thing mentioned in any story that, that we've ever covered. There was a woman that was visiting the house, and in her bathroom, she was looking in the mirror, fixing her hair. In the mirror, she sees a smoky substance floating behind her. But then that substance starts coming toward her. It clouded the mirror up. And she wipes the vapor away, but it came right back in seconds. She grabbed a cloth and she wiped a little more vigorously. And at that time, she heard an older man hum and she smelled the smoke from pipe tobacco. So maybe he didn't approve of her hair the way it looked. It's possible. See, I thought it was cool that it fogged the window up. Yeah. Or the mirror. And then she wiped it off and it fogged it up again. Yeah. That's something I really hadn't heard. No. I used to see it in Supernatural all the time. Yeah. Remember, ghosts come in the mm-hmm. window and ice up or whatever. And at least it was nice tobacco smoke. Yeah. Like not a stinky old cigar. <laughs> so the, she said the temperature quickly dropped. Now, this was a really hot, humid night, she said. But it dropped instantly and then within a couple of seconds it went straight back up i was gonna say that was probably a blessing if the temperature dropped it it only happened for a second or two and they said that she asked to be uh to leave the house and go somewhere else and stay oh that freaked her out families who have occupied the house have experienced rhythmic tappings on the walls now this would start at the top of the house and would work its way downward almost like something was looking for a soft spot in the wall like looking for a stud or something. Mm-hmm. And he said that it would do this and that noise would happen until it reached the basement and then it would just stop. He ran out of room. I guess. And found what he was looking for, huh? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so like most houses of the day, they were, there were several clocks all over the house. The spirit would turn each clock to a different time, not just off by like a couple of minutes. I literally mean every single clock would have a completely different time. Like it might be 3.55 on one, 6.10 on another, 9.30 on another. <laughs> but none of them would have the exact same time. None of them. This would have been a, probably a good time to have a watch in the house. Yeah, that's very I true. wonder if, if their watches had the same effect. Just out of curiosity. Oh, I don't know. Another cool thing about this ghost is it liked midnight snacks. Who don't? <laughs> it didn't like to clean up after itself, though. Yeah. Who don't? Or who does, I should say. In the early 19th century, the family hired a cook. Now, he apparently was a great cook because when he mentioned to the family that somebody was coming into the kitchen at night, eating and leaving their dirty dishes and soiled napkins out, each family member denied being the guilty party, but they all neglected to mention the ghost, trying not to scare the cook off. Yeah. Did they ever tell him? I wonder. I don't know. Well, that's a compliment if the ghost enjoyed, you know, hey. Yeah. I'm going to try this name again. The Gosse, the Gosse family inherited the house in 1934. Of course, they inherited the spirit as well. You've got to get both. During the years that the Gosse family owned it, Tom Gosse, the owner's son, started dating and eventually married Lynn Gosse. She was a well-renowned poet back in the day. Mm-hmm. I don't know what year this was. Once again, I couldn't find dates. This is a strange, like I said, it's one of those where you got a lot of stories, but I couldn't find dates. 
I did find out that she published a book in 1973, and she does make mention of a TV set, so I know we're at least in the, probably the mid-60s, 70s, something like that. So that's about when this took place. Anyway, so he was dating, he was dating Lynn. Lynn had an experience while they were just dating, but there was a twist. Her ex first experience was not at the house. It was in her own apartment. Uh-oh. Did he follow her? That's what they think, actually. So the spirit that visited Lynn is thought to be Tom's great-grandfather, Richard Jones, who owned the house before they inherited it. Oh. So the Jones family, like I said, they owned it before that. And so Lynn said that she had just finished a date with Tom. They had been at the beach, and she got a, a very severe headache. And she asked Tom to take her back to the apartment, which he did. So Lynn was relaxing on the sofa, and her headache went away. But she was about to have a completely different issue. <laughs> because she said as she was lying there, she felt a strange cold hand on her shoulder. She glanced up, and on the darkened TV screen, an image appeared. It was the face of a distinguished elderly gentleman with white hair, a goatee, and piercing blue eyes. He had a pipe in his mouth and a slight smile. Oh. And she tried to figure out who this was, and she thought it might be somebody she knew. And as she was doing this, it faded away because she didn't remember ever seeing this person. He sounds handsome. She said that she tried to rationalize it. She looked at the lamp that was close by to see if the colors on there could have been causing an optical illusion on the TV screen. She checked the TV, and it was unplugged, as she thought it was. I guess people must just unplugged their TVs back in the day when they weren't using it. That's so weird. I don't know. She then assumed that she had just dreamt the entire episode. Mm -hmm. So she went back to bed. That's when she heard the sound of a key turning the door lock of her apartment. Then the sound of footsteps echoing through the apartment. She jumped out of bed, put on her robe, and ran into the living room. The front door was securely locked, just like she had left it. No one was in the apartment. She again figured that she must have either imagined it or overreacted and maybe just didn't hear what she thought she did. She walks back to her bedroom, but the sound of the footsteps... Very loud of footsteps followed her into the bedroom. Oh, dang. I said, that's so scary. She eventually fell back to sleep. The next day, though, she had a date with Tom for lunch. She told him about the incident, and Tom said that the description that she gave matched his grandfather, Richard Jones, his great-grandfather, oh. to a T. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. Tom? I guess he got tired of being at the old house, I reckon. Guess needed what, to change the scenery. But Tom said that he felt that it was um, his great-grandfather giving his approval of her. Oh, that's so nice. And that's kind of what he thought. He sounds so nice-looking. I keep thinking about the guy. When, I don't know why. I keep thinking about the guy that played um, Susan's dad on Seinfeld. The guy with the white hair and the beard. Oh, yeah. That's when I heard when the description. That, that's who yeah. I thought about. <laughs> Lynn would go on to have several more experiences once she got married and moved into the house. On one occasion, which just happened to be the very first night that she moved in, it was late summer, very hot, but a cold chill enveloped the whole house. 
So she found a bunch of quilts that were up on a shelf, and she tucked them tightly over the bed and around her while she slept. She was awoken by a strong force pulling the quilts from the bed. Here we go. She woke up Tom, and she informed him that, hey, something just yanked the blankets off of me, and he just told her, oh, yeah, it's happened before. (laughs) (laughs) The next morning, her bedroom mirror suddenly clouded over as if it was steamed up. But it's different, though. When she ran her hand across the glass, it wasn't even damp. What? It was clouded up, but it wasn't damp. It was like no water vapor on it. Later that day, Lynn noticed that there was an antique rocking chair slowly rocking back and forth. This was followed by footsteps climbing the spiral staircase in the hallway. The following night, the lights in a heavy overhead chandelier dimmed slowly and went out. And this happened many times during her stay at the mansion over the years. All right, so... I put this in there exactly like I read it. It said, and I quote, The lights in the heavy overhead chandelier. Um, Where else would there be a chandelier? At the shed? Is that what you said? No, chandelier. Oh. A heavy overhead Overhead chandelier. chandelier. Aren't all chandeliers overhead? Oh, yeah. I would think that would be the case. (laughs) So. Unless it was an upside down house. I just didn't (laughs) didn't know why they felt the need to... So she questioned Tom about the history of the house, and he told her about the bones that were found on the property and that they were never identified. But if it was the ghost of Richard Jones, then it wouldn't have anything to do with those bones that they found on the property because Richard is buried in a local cemetery. Mm -hmm. So now after eventually, so the, the Prices had it, then the Joneses had it, then the Gosses had it. In the 70s, it somehow fell into the hands of the Wilmington Chamber of Commerce. So they put their offices there. The employees there started calling the ghost George because (laughs) they said they didn't want it to just be known as a ghost. Yeah. So George has a name now. Well, that's nice. At least the ghost has a name that's George. I hope it's not a female ghost. Well, that's true. Georgette. Yeah, either way. A Chamber of Commerce official told the Raleigh newspaper that he had cleaned up innumerable messes that he thought George had caused. He said, I can't tell you how many times I've had to go back into the office to fix something that George did or undid. Most of the time it was to reset the burglar alarm or to turn off water spigots, lights, or an electric typewriter that he left running. (laughs) The thing was, we all knew that we turned them off these things when we left, and we checked with the janitorial service, and they swore that they didn't turn them on. The police are constantly calling me to come let them in because the burglar alarm is going off, and it's triggered only by sound from the inside. Another alarm was only triggered by movement. It went off several times in the middle of the night with no one in the building, at least no one living in the building. <laughs> Sometimes, the aroma of pipe tobacco or sweet potatoes baking could be detected. Mm. That's a different one. Yeah. Sweet potatoes baking. That sounds yellow. Another employee told the same newspaper that he wasn't a believer, but he had to admit that there was a lot of strange things that happened here that he could not really explain. Mm -hmm. 
He said that he had heard creaking stairs, running water, and whistling sounds when he was all alone in the building. Some of the events might be explained by the fact that the building is old. Others aren't as easily explained. One of the managers said that George would occasionally manifest himself. One time, the manager was alone. He had to go downstairs to put water in the boiler. When he got back upstairs, he heard water running. It sounded like it was coming from the bathroom. Now, he knew that he had turned off all of the water downstairs. He went into the bathroom, and both faucets were running full blast. And these were the screw-type faucets, so someone or something had to have turned them on. An executive secretary of the chamber said that she actually saw George. She said that it was brief and out of the corner of her eye. When she turned to look at him straight away, he disappeared. Another employee was using the copy machine. He heard something in the hallway. So he looks up. There's a security mirror there, so you can see down the hallway. And there was no light on, just the light coming in from the front porch. So you had a little bit of light, not much. He saw a silhouette standing there. It raised the hair on the back of his neck, and he left as fast as he could. Oh, my goodness. But this is the most famous encounter. In 1967, a Wilmington newspaper sent in a team to write a Sunday feature. The newsman, Jerry Tillotson, and the photographer, Andy Howell, began roaming around the house. They were fascinated by the architecture and the graceful atmosphere. Now, towards the evening, the two were sitting in a drawing room, and they were just chit-chatting. They heard a door close from somewhere in the house. The sound of footsteps on the stairs made the men jump up out of their seats and out the door towards the steps. They don't see anyone, but they now hear footsteps above them. So the photographer snapped a picture of the empty staircase. When they got back to the newspaper office, he developed the film. In the picture that he had taken on the staircase, there was a figure. It did not have a distinct profile, but it was solid because you could not see any of the details of the staircase or the wallpaper where the figure was, so you couldn't see through it. Oh. You could just see something solid there. It seemed to be shoulders, a neck, and two arms but no legs or no head. <laughs> no head? No head. Oh. That's just rude to show up with no head. <laughs> and that's the story of the house up on Haunted Hill. Dang, that sounds like a fun place. I guess it's Hanging Hill, not Haunted Hill. But yeah, it's Haunted Hanging Hill. Hill. Yeah. And that's how, it's even harder to say. Isn't that crazy? All through all those years, all that stuff happening and, you know, it's just the same person. Could be. Yeah. Or, you know, we don't know that. Well, I mean, true. there could be one one ghost that's hiding stuff, one ghost pulling off blankets. I mean, there could be three or four or five ghosts there. Yeah. For all we really know. Well, at least they were nice, not harmful. Yeah, didn't seem like anything That's cool. Harmful, so. Well, I like that. So, well, Tracy, let's take a quick break from our sponsor, and then uh, we're going to come back. Don't forget, Troy Taylor interview. Fantastic. He is the best out there for my money. I mean, he is literally the best. And we're going to go to the haunted conference or haunted america conference in july of this year and i'm excited about going to that got one of troy's books for christmas my son got it for me oh i know he did didn't yep. he that was very nice all right so uh tracy go ahead and tell us what we got 
fry tunes. Okay. This week we have Chevy Fan 96, Native Texan, Jacob Rollins, and Mojo Lobster. Thank you guys for old, your... Old Faithful. I know. And you guys, you're, I mean, seriously, you guys are really, really so sweet and nice with your words and stuff. And we really do appreciate it. It makes our heart happy and... We just can't thank you guys enough for that. Um, keep them coming if you don't mind. Yeah, one of those reviews, I can't remember if it was this week or last week, but the, I think it was this week's, they said that they met of Medicine, Texas, in Houston last year. Yes. Or mm-hmm. the year before, actually, now. And they didn't come to see us. They came to see uh, some of the, the other two shows that were there, Tony and Wes's show, mm-hmm. and, and Wes uh, Gimlin was there, Bob I Gimlin. Know. And they Love came that. to see that, And but then they liked us and started listening they've been listening i guess now a year and a half nice. and thank they left us so a review that. so that was pretty awesome that was very awesome thank you so much we appreciate it and for our patreon this week we have brandon gamble thank you so much sweetheart for your donation we appreciate you guys and uh, we just can't thank you guys enough every single week you fill our heart with love all right, guys, I'm super excited about this one because this is one that I've, I've wanted to do forever. This is one of my idols when it comes to the, the paranormal field in general. I've got Troy Taylor on here. Troy, thank you so much for doing this. Sure. Yeah, no, I'm glad to do it. So it's uh, it sounded fun. So well, I do it as many as I can. As long as they're fun. <laughs> yeah, I know you get slammed with this stuff, dude. I, I don't know how you keep the schedule that you do. So I want to start off with the fact that you're an author. And and just writing my first book last year, I knew how much time and effort went into it. And I didn't have to make anything up. I didn't have to research anything. It was just mostly my life. So it just could, couldn't be any easier. And when I see that you've written close to 130 books, I just can't imagine the amount of time it takes over the last 20, 25 years or so to be able to do that with all the research that goes into these books. Yeah, it's, um, it's, I mean, I'm doing what I love to do. So, I mean, that makes a huge difference for me is being able to, you know, go to work. I mean, it's my day job. I mean, this is my actual job. So it's, it's not, I mean, I feel for people who have, another job and then have to come and, you know, and then want to write books or want to do whatever, you know, as a hobby, you know, that's, that's tough. And um, for me, it's, it's when I come to work, that's what I do all day. I mean, I've set things I do when I get to work in the morning, the rest of the day, I can do whatever I feel like. And, um, and that's also the beauty of just being able to write about what you want to write about. And I've usually got four or five different projects going at the same time, which is, explains a lot I know with (laughs) how I keep up but I will you know I have like an ongoing list of things that I want to write about and then I'll have several different things going at the same time maybe one day I'll do research on a couple of these things and the next day I'll just be writing things and that's that's really how I do so much you know I mean we've got the tour companies and things but those are that's a little extra thing and you know if I go out and I do an event or I you know, do a, a presentation somewhere about one of the topics that I've written about. That's something I kind of do after hours. But as far as my daytime hours, it's it's mostly devoted to devoted to the writing. It really is. And like I said, I, I'm lucky that I get to do it. Uh, I never lose sight of that. So it's always it's just always fun. I mean, and and during the pandemic, I mean, 
anything else to do. <laughs> you know? So I, I just, I wrote a lot of books. Uh, my, uh, my seventh book comes out the end of next week during the pandemic, just in the last year. That's and I, I don't normally write seven books in a year, but it just happened <laughs> that way this year because we had so much time on our hands, I guess, you know. Well, you mentioned that you've got several projects always going on at the same time. Let's talk about a couple of those projects. Obviously, a lot of people are probably listening to the, the podcast, American Hauntings podcast that you do with Cody Beck. Yeah. That's been going on for two or three years. And, and I got to say, it's one of my favorite. I oh, love I love the um, the way that you've got it set up, the way it's structured. You know, you come out, you do a very scripted uh, a story, and then you and Cody discuss. I, I love that format. And, and I think it gives people an option to where, and I know this sounds bad because I don't mean this as no, a negative. No, I, I know what you're going to say. And I yeah, they, they can listen that. to the first part. And if they're not into a conversation podcast, they can move on because we do the same thing on our show. We have yeah. a conversation podcast and then we'll have an interview or something. And some people don't like the interview. So, you know, but but I think it's very well structured. I think you and Cody work great together. Well, it's, you know, it was not something I planned on doing. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we do, because once he talked me into it, I really enjoy it. And um, I had not planned on doing a podcast. I had planned on, you know, I listened to lots of them. And he came to me and asked me if I would be willing to do it. And, um, you know, he had some great ideas and it didn't sound like I'd have to learn anything too technical. <laughs> so I, I went ahead with it, you know, and it's turned out to be a lot of fun. And we've met a lot of new people that way. A lot of new projects have come up because of the podcast, which has been very cool. Um, you know, so it is something I do enjoy. Um, it's not, it doesn't take a huge amount of my time, uh, but it has turned out to be one of the, you know, most fun things that I get to do. You know, I, I say this in, in complete respect of what you do. I think you are the very best in the paranormal field at what you do. And that's, that's just all things considered. I mean, you're a great author. You're a great storyteller. You, you know, you've, you've done things in the paranormal field that have brought the whole field along. For example, obviously you do the Haunted America Conference, which this year is July 23rd and 24th in Alton, Illinois. It's usually in June, but pandemic and stuff, everything's got, got yeah. changed up. Yeah. But you were the, the really the first person to start doing any kind of paranormal conference 20 some years ago. And we wouldn't have all these all over the country had it not been for you. And I, and I honestly believe that. Well, it's, you know, it, it started out as a lark. I had, I'd, I'd gone with a, a friend of mine to, man, I want to say it was like an X-Files conference or convention or something. And uh, I just thought it'd be kind of fun. And, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything too organized. It was mostly just a bunch of people getting around, you know, talking about whatever interested us, you know, as far as the X-Files went. And they had a couple of speakers and that kind of thing. And I thought, you know, why are we not doing something like this for ghosts? I mean, I had been in the book business for a while. I'd gone to a couple of big book conventions, you know, the big, you know, walk through all the booths, but they had all kinds of other things going on too. And 
I thought, you know, there's we, we've got to be able to put something like this together. So we came up with the idea of doing one. And the first year was mostly just a handful of people, a handful of speakers, but it got a lot of attention. We got a lot of people from all over. And then it's sort of grown into something else as time has gone by. I mean, we have, you know, we have a vendor room and a, an area where you can meet people at their booths and things, but that's never been the focus of our conference. Our, that's, that's a side thing. The conference itself is always, for me, always has to be speaker-based. It has to be people that we bring there because they've got something to say, something to share, cool stories, you know, documentary they're working on, whatever. We don't do a lot of TV people or anything because it's not an autograph thing. I mean, it's, I mean, yes, there is, that is part of it if people want to do that. But the main point of it is to get people around and share ideas. And, you know, this, this would have been um, our 25th year this year. Instead, it's going to be our 24th because obviously we couldn't do it last year. But, you know, after 24 years, we've still never gotten tired of it. In fact, it's the one thing I look forward to more than anything else throughout the year. I mean, mostly because it's a great way to get everybody together. But on the other hand, these are only, these a lot of the people who come and we get people who come from all over the country. And these are people I only get to see once a year a lot of times. I mean, these are good friends that we talk all the time, but we don't actually get to see each other. And that's become another big part of the conference um, is just getting everybody together. So I'm really happy that it's continued, that people have continued to enjoy it. I think I'd do it even if hardly anybody came, <laughs> but luckily, you know, we, we fill it up, you know, each year and it's, it's, uh, it's really a great event. I really enjoy it. But we're excited. We're coming up this year. So I didn't get a chance the first time we've been able to come up. So Good deal. Good yeah, deal. we started doing this full time about a year ago and like oh, we would have yeah. came last year, but you know, we, we do <laughs> yeah. a lot of live events no, and yeah, yeah, we do a lot of live events. So we had to schedule, you know, through vacations when we did these things. So sure. something always sure. got left out, but now we don't have to worry about that. So we're yes. coming. Yeah, that's great. All right, Troy. So I, I, one of the things that I told you I want to talk about on here is something I, I think is a, a subject near and dear to your heart is haunted Alton. We've we've talked about Alton. I don't know how many times different different locations, not so much the oh, city yeah. as a whole. And uh, I kind of want to get your take uh, basically on some of your favorite spots in Alton, maybe some spots that not everybody knows about. Uh, and why do you think the city itself has such a paranormal uh, activity drawn to it? Well, I think that Alton, um, I think the basis behind Alton's hauntings are its history. Um, this is a town in Illinois that is older than the state of Illinois. I um, mean, it was founded four years before Illinois became a state. Um, being located right on the Mississippi River, you're talking about for, you know, uh, decades, the main thoroughfare through the middle part of America was this river. So you had so many people coming through the area, so many people coming to Alton uh, and leaving a bit of their history mixed in with the history of Alton behind. I mean, it's a place that's seen, you know, um, riots, fires, murders, floods, the first state prison in Illinois. Um, it was a Civil War um, base, really, for the Union Army. They had a Confederate penitentiary located there in Alton. So there's been a lot of things that have left a footprint behind. Plus, you've got a town with, you've got all this water, you've got the river, which is always, any river town seems to draw more activity, um, often just because of the history, but also, I think, because of the water itself. Uh, you've got locations in Alton that are sitting on top of water, 
and you've got an entire town built on top of limestone, which just soaks up water and energy like a battery. So you combine all those things into one and you end up with a very, very haunted little town. Um, I, I've always loved Alton. It's one of those places that um, in, before I lived there, I was drawn to. I used to go there and visit quite a bit um, and then finally moved there and lived there for about eight years. And even to this day, while I don't live in Alton, I'm only about an hour away. And you know, so much of my business continues to be based in Alton just because it's just such a great location. You know, um, our tours have been around for more than 20 years now, and it's given us a chance to really go pretty much everywhere in town. I mean, there are places in the city that, you know, places that you can, you, you can talk about, you know, but can't name their name because they're, it's people's homes or it's people's, you know, businesses and things. But there are plenty of places that are open to the public that are genuinely haunted. Um, you know, it's not just stories with a lot of these things. And, you know, I may spend an entire evening on a tour or something talking about Haunt and Alton. And, you know, I, I can, I'll spend the whole night saying, you know, uh, well, back in, you know, in the 1800s or according to the stories or legend has it, but I try not to focus too hard on places that I can't, you know, I can't have a basis behind that, that I haven't experienced something there. Now, when I say experience something there, let me, let me preface that by saying, as I'm sure you already know from, you know, things of mine that you've read or heard me say, I am not a psychic. Uh, I don't see dead people. I don't talk to dead people. I am literally a psychic as a doorknob. So when I have an experience somewhere, it's super exciting to me. You know, I, um, I used to be, when I first started out in this business, I was very much into gathering scientific evidence to prove there are ghosts. I quit doing that. I, you know, after 25 years, well, hell, after 150 years of trying to do that, what have we really proven? Not a whole lot. <laughs> You know, other than you can't scientifically prove that a place is haunted unless you can get the ghost to repeat itself over and over again. And we know that rarely ever happens. Correct. So um, I, I've kind of become one of those people who like to go for the experience. Now, I, by that, I don't mean I like to go somewhere and, you know, break windows and spray paint the walls because it's a cool experience to be in a haunted place. That is not I don't recommend that or endorse it in any way. I go because I want to see the place where these events have happened. You know, I want to walk the battlefield at Gettysburg because of the battle that happened there and because of the sightings that people have had of ghosts or other things. Um, I've never, I've been to Gettysburg dozens and dozens of times. I've wandered the battlefield late at night and early in the morning and all hours in between. And every experience that I've ever had there has always been sounds. It's always been something that I heard, um, you know, we with a group of people and hearing gunfire one night that wasn't, you know, hillbillies that lived up the road. Oh, nothing against the podcast, but That's fine. Uh, let's say, let's say, you know, rednecks that lived up the road um, or the night that a buddy of mine and, were, and I were there and we heard a horse come up behind us. I mean, we heard everything, a snort of a horse, the hooves, the everything. And um, yeah, of course there was no horse there. So 
I like to experience places and that's something that I've, I've, I've been doing for a long time in Alton. And with a lot of times I'm taking people with me so they can experience it too, as part of the tours. Um, you know, my, uh, I, I've always been intrigued by the, uh, by the, um, the big Pike mansion in town. Um, and that's one that a lot of people know. It's not generally just open to the public, but the owner, Sharon Ludke does, allow people to come in. You can't go through the, the main body of the house anymore because it's, the city is kind of frowns on that. Um, it is in much better shape than it was the last time I was in the rest of the house, but not to the city, <laughs> you know, but we can go into the, we can go into the wine cellar. You know, um, I've, I've been all through that house. And uh, while I didn't have any experiences upstairs, I have had experiences in the wine cellar. I was with a group of people one night when the door to the wine cellar, well, we actually heard a friend of mine, had, his wife was there and she was very feeling very claustrophobic in the wine cellar. So uh, a mutual friend offered to lead her out of the house. At that point, you had to go through the house to get outside to take her out. And we heard them leave. So we were just kind of waiting around. We were going to do, a, you know, kind of a, a dark room, quiet EVP recording session in the wine cellar. <laughs> So we were waiting for her to come back and we heard her come back. You could clearly hear her walk across the floor, come down the stairs, walk across the basement. And then the door to the wine cellar, which is this big heavy metal door scrapes open across the stone floor, but she doesn't come in. Well, finally I went to check to see what she was doing. I thought, well, maybe she's looking for a camera or something, you know? So I went out, out into the rest of the basement to look around. There's nobody there completely empty. Now the entire group of us had heard it. Well, a few minutes later, we heard the same thing again. Footsteps go across the floor. They come down the stairs. They walk across the basement. Uh, the door was still standing open. So there was no need for anybody to open the door this time. And my friend's head pokes in and says, oh, sorry, I'm back. I got caught talking outside. We're all just staring at her and she's like, what's the problem? <laughs> We're like, well, you know, we weren't sure if it was you or a ghost, you know, so uh, it is a haunted spot. It's, um, you know, there's a there's a church in town, uh, believe it or not, that that actually allows us to come in there on our tours. And I've been there many, many, many hundreds of times over the years. And um, it is, I believe, haunted by the ghost of the former pastor who had committed suicide in the building and has been seen there for years. People have felt him. They've felt him touch them. Uh, they've smelled his cologne. They've seen his figure standing in uh, the, the auditorium of the church. Um, and it's just one of those places where people, you can walk in and people who ordinarily say that, like me, you know, I'm not a psychic. I don't know, you know, anything about this kind of stuff as far as, you know, feeling impressions go, but they will feel an odd sensation in this church. Uh, a lot of people will never come back. Um, we've had, you know, things that have happened during our tours. Um, I had a personal experience one night when I had a group of people, we had the, there's a stained glass or a, a pocket door, sliding pocket door with stained glass in it between the auditorium and the room behind it. Uh, the room behind it used to be divided up into several rooms and a hallway, and it was at the in the window transom of that hallway where the pastor had hung himself in years before. And so I had a group of people, we were all standing in that next room, and I it, we closed the door to the 
uh, auditorium and all you could see was the stained glass and there was a, a light behind it while I was telling the story. I mean, cause you got to set the atmosphere. It's a ghost tour, right? So I'm telling the story in kind of a, you know, in, in a murky, dark kind of setting in the middle of it, me talking, all of a sudden a group of the people that are on one side of the room just sort of freak out and start, you know, trying to get away from the sliding glass door. Like, well, what's going on? And they said, well, who's that? So we look and there is a figure standing on the other side of the glass. I mean, you, all you can see is a shadow, but it's a clear silhouette of a person standing there. Well, I just assumed it was one of the guys who was with me on the tour that night. And so I yelled for one of my friends and I said, hey, Lynn, where's Steve? I'm just assuming it's him. And Steve is standing behind me. Well, it's not me. So we opened the door and it wasn't anyone else either. There was no one in the room. So this is like an ongoing theme here at this particular church with strange events or sometimes we'll be standing talking and in the room, we'll be in the auditorium with our, our backs to the room where the, the pastor hung himself and people will say, who else is here? Because we keep seeing someone walk back and forth behind you as you're talking. Um, that's, that, that's, is a great spot. It's not my favorite. My favorite spot is and probably always will be the Mineral Springs Hotel, which is one of those places that has a lot of bullshit legends behind it, the, most of which aren't true. But and, and that's always what cracks me up about a lot of places is why do we have to make up stories other than if the stories got made up to kind of explain what was happening to people who didn't have access to the history? That I can understand, but I can never understand why people make up stories about a place that's genuinely haunted because the real stories are better than anything they make up, right? So uh, this particular place has, you know, it was a hotel, an active hotel for about 50 years. Um, during the time that it was in operation, there have been uh, a number of suicides that have taken place in the building. There have been a couple of deaths that have occurred there, not a tremendous amount, at least that we know of, uh, but a search through all the newspapers reveals, you know, deaths here and there at this hotel. And I, I've always believed that at least some of the people who died there have stayed behind. But I also think that because it's a hotel, um, you get a lot of history, a lot of people coming through there in over 50 years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come through in a year. It's not surprising when they leave a little bit of themselves behind. Um, you also have a building that was opened originally as a spa for people to come in and take in the waters, which means that they're coming there because of this cure-all water that is located right below the building. It's a natural spring. So in other words, this building sitting on a limestone bluff filled with a natural spring with all kinds of minerals in it, and it's a hotel, it's like, you know, the perfect storm of hauntings. And, you know, there have been so many things that um, people have experienced and, and a number of places, things that I've experienced myself there uh, in this building that, you know, convinces me that it is genuinely haunted and I think probably the most haunted place in town. Uh, so Alton is one of those places that you can't, um, I mean, you can't, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a place that's supposed to be haunted. But in this particular case, there are an awful lot of true stories behind these hauntings. So Alton is honestly one of the most haunted small towns in America. I wouldn't, uh, this isn't me just, you know, 
trying to promote the town. I don't think it needs it any more than it already has been, um, but it is a genuinely haunted place. And, you know, I always, I mean, that's one of the reasons why we do so much of our business there, why we have the conference in Alton almost every year now and have for the last six or seven years only had it in Alton. It's easy to get to, it's in the middle of the country and you can't ask for a better place to have a ghost conference. Now, if I want to swing a dead cat around, do I need to bring my own or are they readily available? In uh, you, yeah, I bring your own just in case, um, you know, and always use a fresh one so the tail doesn't come off. That's my advice. That's so. that's a good tip. Good tip. <laughs> you know. Troy, what can you tell me about the old jail? The, the old prison in Alton um, yes. was started back in 1830 as the first state penitentiary. And um, a lot of people don't realize the significance of the fact that you know, in 1830, Illinois was the Western frontier. That was about as far West as most people went uh, in 1830. We hadn't started the Westward movement to California or anything else at that time. The only people out West were Native Americans and, and trappers and mountain men. That was about it. So putting, putting a prison right on the edge of the frontier in Illinois at what was then the population center of the state because Chicago wouldn't come along for another four years. So Alton was the biggest town there was, but a penitentiary was a brand new idea in the United States at that time. Um, the first penitentiary had been built in Philadelphia, Eastern state, which we're all familiar with, uh, was built in 1828 by the Quakers. And the idea was to put a man somewhere uh, who committed a crime where he might become penitent if he thought about his crime for a while. And that's why the word penitentiary was born. So only two years later, they were building a penitentiary in Illinois, in, around the middle of nowhere, pretty much. Now, Illinois had become sort of a haven for lawbreakers at that point, because again, it's as far west as you could go. So if you committed a crime and you were on the run, you went to Illinois. So they needed a place to lock these people up. They built the penitentiary there, but it was always this really rough, rundown kind of place, even when it first opened. I mean, it was only, it only had 50 cells in it when it opened, and that was supposed to hold all the lawbreakers in Illinois. Well, it was full, like within a few months. So they continually built onto it uh, for the next probably 25 years or so. And, you know, the conditions were horrible. There was no heat, of course. There was, you know, very little in the way of medical care, clothing, blankets, supplies. I mean, it was always a place where if you ended up there, there's a good chance that no matter how short your sentence was, it would be a death sentence because your health would be destroyed. Uh, guys who would spend a year or so there, by the time they got out, they'd usually die a short time afterward. It was so bad. Finally, around 1850, uh, there was a social reformer, Dorothea Dix, who came to the prison and, and told the Illinois legislature that it was unfit for human habitation. That's how bad this place was. And uh, they actually took her suggestions to close the place under advisement, um, acted on it quickly for a state legislature. It only took them seven years. Uh, and they closed the place down. And they moved the state prison of Illinois, moved it from Alton up to Joliet, Illinois, where they built the new penitentiary, which is still there, although it is closed today as well. Uh, the Alton Penitentiary was opened up again during the Civil War. Uh, they had run out of room for Confederate prisoners in St. Louis, so they brought them to Alton, uh, put them in the old penitentiary, 
And um, it was just as bad as it was before, except now it was worse because the prisoners had brought with them a smallpox epidemic from St. Louis, which killed, numbers vary, anywhere from 1,500 to 5,000, depending on which account you read, just during the summer of 1862. That's how bad it was. Well, a group of nuns set up a hospital in Alton uh, because by this time the epidemic had spread outside of the prison walls. Um, and they did their best they could to try to get the epidemic under control. They quarantined prisoners by putting them on an island out in the Mississippi River uh, where we don't know how many, several hundred died were buried out there on the island. Uh, their graves went unmarked. They were unrecorded, but went unmarked at all until 1993. So we don't even know how many people died out there, only that um, after the war, people avoided the island because, well, not only were there bodies out there uh, from men who had died from smallpox, which they didn't know if it might still be contagious, but they also believed that it was haunted because there were so many ghost stories. The people who did go out there who were seeing ghosts of men out there in that parking lot. Well, after the war ended, the um, or on the island, rather, after the war ended, that where the prison was became a parking lot. So I jumped ahead of the story a bit. But... Uh, the prison itself was left kind of to rot for a long time. There was talk of reusing it. Um, eventually, portions of it were torn down. They were used to build a bridge. Uh, they were also uh, ground up and used to pave the streets in a town in Missouri. Um, they were never used to build any buildings in Alton. That's a story that got started um, actually, it's a story that got started by uh, that television show in the early 2000s, Scariest Places on Earth. They started that story and wanted everybody to continue the story, and none of us would, so they just told it themselves. And somehow that grabbed a hold of people, and they, they, they bought it. But it wasn't used to build the McPike Mansion. It wasn't used to build the Mineral Springs or anything else in town that's haunted. The The Penitentiary just literally fell down. People would carry away some of the rocks. Uh, there were Confederate soldiers who returned to Alton after the war and took home rocks from the prison, stones to use as their gravestones because they remembered what a horrible place it was. Um, so at, over time, that became a public park. People would go there for picnics and things, you know, right where that prison used to be. And the building itself was still there, uh, still empty. People would go inside and discovered that even though it was empty, of course it wasn't completely empty. And those were some of the first ghost stories that made the newspapers in Alton back in the 1870s. The, the remains, the ruins of the old prison were haunted, that they were you know, hearing ghosts there, they would hear screams and cries and shouts and gunshots and, and footsteps and they would see figures walking around. And even after it was long gone, um, it took years before they tore down the rest of the penitentiary. It wasn't until the 1970s that the remainder of it was torn down and a monument was built uh, down along the street so that they would have a monument to not only the prison, but the, the penitentiary for the Confederates as well. And um, they turned that entire lot into a parking lot, which is still haunted. People still claim not only to hear things, but more commonly to see ghosts walking across that parking lot. One of the very first ghost stories I ever heard firsthand from somebody when I moved to Alton was a guy who told me about how he was walking his dog one night through or along the edge of that parking lot, looked up and saw a man in dirty, ragged clothing walking toward him, and his dog just went berserk. 
started barking and howling and snarling and trying to get to this guy. Well, he reached down, grabbed a hold of the dog's collar to try to calm him down. He said that just a few seconds passed. He looked up to apologize to the man to say, I, I don't know what's gotten into him. And when he did, of course, the man was gone. There was no one there and nowhere for him to run away to. He went home, told his wife what had happened. And she said, well, don't you know what that parking lot used to be? He didn't. She told him. And then he came and told his story to me. So, yeah, it's definitely a, still a really spooky spot with a really long, dark history behind it. Um, so it's no surprise to me that it continues to be haunted. Troy, it's been a blast having you on. I want to talk real quick. I want to tell people if they haven't listened to the American Hauntings podcast this season, you guys are covering, uh, you know, L.A. And LA I, have, I could not be more impressed with the history that I've gotten from that. You you did a, a one early on uh, in the season where you were talking about the dam that was built out there. And, oh, yeah. and I had no idea that that that. Uh, that that area had no true water source. It right, never even right. dawned on me. Right. And then that whole story of, of the dam was just incredible. And but that's every episode. Every episode, I learned I, something. Well, that's the, the 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 Hollywood season is sort of one of my sweet spots. Um, you know, I always say history was my kind of gateway drug into all this anyway. Um, so you know, history is always really important to me. But I I love absolutely love movies. All kinds of movies. I mean, I especially love horror films. As anybody who knows, who listens to the podcast knows, we do annual horror films, of, you know, at different times throughout the year. But I, I really love movies and I love the history behind it and how Hollywood all got started. And the just the utter depravity of all the crimes in L.A. and Hollywood in the first half of the 20th century um, never ceases to to stop amazing me. So this is one of those seasons where I have no idea where it'll end. I, I, I really don't, no clue, uh, but I'm really excited to keep doing it. And uh, I, I, we've gotten a lot of good feedback. So I'm really glad you're enjoying it too, uh, because I like to hear from people because I can, I mean, I can start a season and go on forever. And if people aren't enjoying it, I kind of need to know, but really we'll probably do it anyway. Cause like Cody and I always say, Hey man, it's free. What do you want? <laughs> it's our podcast. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but thank you. I appreciate that. Troy, tell everybody how they can keep up with you and the uh, Haunted America Conference. Sure. Well, the best places to find me, I, I'm on, you know, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. But the best place to find me is just go to the website. It's a link to everywhere. Um, and that's AmericanHauntings.net. And that will literally take you anywhere you want to go as far as everything I do. Books, presentations, the conference, tours, everything is all right there in one place. So check that out and you'll find me. And you do, make sure that you tell me that you heard about me from Jerry. So I will know that I can thank him for something else. So Perfect. And speaking of thanks, thanks. Every beginning of the year, you do a little something to kind of help out. And you have a little conference up where people bring like items and stuff like that to get in. Uh, just tell everybody real quick what that what that's about. Well, every uh, every February we do what's called our Dead of Winter event. It's an annual food drive that we do uh, to gather uh, food for food banks in the Alton and St. Louis area. We always hold it in Alton, and um, you know we we know that that post Christmas 
a lot of the food banks. I mean, this has been an this past year has been an unusual one, but even in a regular year without a pandemic, um, post Christmas, the food banks start to run out of things. You know, there's so many people who depend on them. And so we kind of like to do a winter surge where we can gather tons of stuff. And over the years, I think we've, we've gotten between canned goods and food items and socks and, you know, paper towels and blankets and that kind of thing. We've we've gathered thousands and thousands of pounds of this stuff and it gets distributed out to different food banks in the area. And um, it's a, it's a fun event. I mean, it's a lot of fun because we just get people together. It's a big free thing that we do that people could come and hang out and, you know, get to hear authors and speakers and see vendors and stuff. And usually we'll have some kind of raffle and shirts that raise money for the food banks too. And uh, that's just sort of our way to give back every year, you know, um, to, you know, people who appreciate stuff that we do and it's something we can do that's free, but it also helps out, helps out a, a, a good cause, you know, for, uh, for the, especially during the winter time. So yeah, we do that every year and it is a lot of fun. So it's uh, something we enjoy. All right, everybody. Troy Taylor, thanks for coming on, buddy. I appreciate absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on and we'll talk again. Yep. I'll see you in July. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, All man. Right, buddy. Tracy, we are sponsored once again this week by our friends at Fume. Tracy, once again, we're going to tell people that this is the perfect tool to use if you're trying to quit smoking or you're trying to quit vaping. Fume is a natural aromatherapy inhaler. It's made from Canadian maple up in Calgary, Alberta. They've been in the business of helping people quit for three years now, and they've got over 25,000 satisfied customers and 650 positive testimonials of people who quit. That's amazing. Just gave the sample pack they gave us, I gave to my daughter, Amber, mm -hmm. who's trying to quit. Yeah, you did. And that was a week ago. So mm -hmm. far, so good. That's great. So it's, it has been effective. So why is Fume so effective? It's replacement therapy. It's a functional tool in the same form and shape as a cigarette so you can take care of those hand-to-mouth cravings, which mm -hmm. is something a lot of people quitting say is the hardest thing to get used to. funny? It is. It's positive replacement, so you're transitioning from negatives of tobaccos and nicotine to the benefits of aromatherapy, which include things like lavender, peppermint, eucalyptus, etc. It's all natural. And it's also stylish. Most modern quitting tools have a medical look to them, and this is not something that looks like medical. It looks like something you would be proud to use out in public. So they offer a, a bunch of the different cores, which is what you put into them. And they could be any type of, you know, like peppermint or whatever they choose. Mm -hmm. Now, the one that has helped people quit smoking the most is called Conquer. Conquer takes a holistic look at quitting the journey and it combats each part of it. For example, it's got black pepper which is a natural nicotine cravings reducer. Never would have guessed that, but it does. I would never know that either. It's got peppermint mixed in with it, so that opens your airways after years of poor breathing. Lavender to help calm your anxiety while you're quitting. Eucalyptus for an uplifting energy boost. And a few other ingredients to add a more flavorful twist because who said quitting had to be boring. We want everybody, if you're smoking or vaping, to try to quit. It's just good for your health. It's the right thing to do. Fume is the number one natural solution for quitting nicotine cravings. So we're going to try to help you get started. Here's what you want to do. Go to fumeessential.com. That's F-U-M essential.com. And you're going to put in the code hillbilly and you're going to save 10%. And we're going to put that link into the show notes. Great. So if you didn't grab it, just go to the show notes wherever you get your podcast at and you'll be able to click it and go right to it. One more time, you go to fumeessential.com. 
Use the code HILLBILLY. You're going to save 10%. Start creating positive habits today. Yes, take advantage of that, guys. All right. Man, I'm telling you, I love Troy. I could sit and listen to Troy all day. He could read cereal boxes and I would listen. <laughs> yeah, he is pretty awesome for sure. So I can't wait to actually meet. It'd be one of those deals where I'll be fanboying when we go up there. I'll be all excited yep. about it. And big thanks to Dolly who helped set that up. Yeah, she hooked I, us up good. Yeah, thanks, I've been, Dolly. She's friends with Troy and I've been trying to do that forever and I wouldn't have any luck. And yeah. All she did was snap her fingers pretty much. And now she sent Troy a, a message and Troy thinks enough of her where he did that well that so. was so sweet thank you dolly we love you girl absolutely and we'll can't be... wait to see you yeah. i think we're gonna be seeing you at some shows hopefully yes so let's talk about that the first thing i want to do and i'm going to put this on the website it's not up right this second but i'll have it up uh sometime before the night's out the trip to saint augustine obviously you want to get tickets it's a, it's already a third of the tickets are already sold mm-hmm. but diane from history goes bump she set it up so we're going to be able to do a full-fledged paranormal investigation of the St. Augustine Lighthouse. How exciting is that? On the that? Friday the night before the show. It's like 11 p.m. to 2, uh, 11 to 1. 11 p.m. to 1. We're going to have the place all to ourselves, but there's only 30 of us could go. And when she posted a day, now obviously Tracy and I and, and her and Kelly are four of them. Well, so so there's yes. only 26 tickets available, yes. and she put the post out today that it was available, and I already know of six or seven people who bought tickets. Great. So That's it's, wonderful. So the thing is, if you want to go on a full-fledged investigation in one of the most haunted places in the country, you're going to need to snag your tickets really quick. Tickets are $45. You can't beat that with a stick for a full-fledged investigation or something like that. Try to go to Waverly and do an investigation. They want $1,000, <laughs> and they want 10 people. No kidding. Minimum. Minimum of 10 people, 1000 bucks. So it costs you $100 to do that same thing at Waverly. Oh, wow. For, anyways, so we got that. I'll have that up on the website, but if you go to our group and to my personal page, I posted it. And if you go to the History Goes Bump uh, group, they've got it posted there. So I'll make sure you've got links to it. So we got all those shows. We're not going to spend time on those shows, the St. Augustine and Galveston and stuff. It's all on the website. Go check it out. What everybody wants to talk about is the Hillbilly Horror Story Cruise. We could not be more excited, and I can't believe it's like 16 months away <laughs> because it's like, I'm so excited, I want to do it like tomorrow. Yep. And But, you know, that far away, it's just going to help more people to be able to go. So here's what we got. Here's all the details I have. Now, this is up on our website. I don't expect everybody to remember it, but it, since it's at the end of the show, I wanted to go ahead and share it. Uh, but if you go to hillbillyhorrorstories.com, I put a special page in that says HHS Cruise. It's got all the details. So this is going to be next year, remember, next September 19th. We're going to leave from Miami. It's a four-day cruise to the Bahamas. Now, the first day out, that, that Tuesday, it's something called Perfect Day. It's Coco Bay, or I'm sorry, Coco Cay. And they own this. It's a Royal Caribbean cruise, and Royal Caribbean owns this island. And it is nothing but a giant theme park. Oh, my goodness. How fun. And I've got some videos and stuff that I can share on it. But it's uh, it's got the tallest water slide in the world is on this place. Dang. It's got zip lines. It's got all kinds of stuff. We're going to be stopping off there. They're going to do a huge cookout on the beach for us. What's well, for the whole cruise, but I mean, that's right. that's what they do on that particular day. 
The second day, which is a Wednesday, we're going to the Grand Bahama Bay Island. And then on the third day, Thursday, we're going to Nassau, Bahamas. That's where uh, all the shopping is done. And then we skip across to where Atlantis is. That's someplace I've always wanted to go. So, And and for, for these cruises... The prices and everything, that includes all of your meals that are on there. Now, when you're off on the islands, if you want to go eat somewhere, right. that costs you. And some of the places on the boat, it costs you if you want something else. Like, like there's Johnny Rockets on the boat, something like some of the sports bars. But the regular meals and all that stuff is all included. So you don't have to worry about that. Uh, all of your entertainment is included. So let's talk about what the entertainment is. For our group, and this is, you know, um, all the people that are becoming that calls and makes the reservation say i'm going for the hhs cruise first of all you're going to get a nice discount Mm -hmm. on what the cruise price would be second of all you're going to get a one hour 100 percent free private cocktail party so the liquor during that one hour will be free Liquor after that yeah we'll be free (laughs) please stop sorry it's creepy anyways (laughs) the family cruise but so you're going to get a free cocktail party just for being part of our group, and that's just for us, our, our have, group. Do like, wear fancy clothes? I don't think we got to wear fancy clothes. Oh. It's a curse. Then we're going to have a live event. It's going to be us, Justin Rimmel from Mysterious Circumstances, Shane Waters from Foul Play, and Nick and Rob from Brohio. Oh, my God. I cannot even. So all four of us are going to do oh. a live event. Another thing we're going to have, this is going to be a meet and greet with several paranormal and true crime podcasters, authors, and investigators. There are going to be so many people on this cruise that are part of that field. There, You're going to see so many podcasters that you've probably listened to, maybe haven't had a chance to meet. So many people that if you went to a convention, you might see. You're right. And so what we're going to do is they're giving us a huge room to be able to do these shows and stuff. That's pretty much just going to be ours to use 24-7. And we're going to have it set up, one of them, where maybe we'll have 20, 30 people that are just set up at tables that you can come by and introduce yourself. They can tell you a little bit about who they are, and you can get autographs or maybe buy merch or uh, get pictures made with them and stuff like that. All that's included, obviously. And then at dinner time, they're going to have a part of the uh, the dinner room sectioned off, the dining room sec- sectioned off, just for us. Wow. So we'll all be able to sit together for dinner. Oh, and we're going to, obviously, all the, the, the cruise has several different types of entertainment. There'll be, this particular ship has ice skating where they do like, uh, you know, the ice skating shows and stuff mm-hmm. like that. They do several of those. And then you can actually go ice skating when they're not doing the shows. They'll have, you can go rent skates and ice skate. How fun is that? I can't wait to go zip lining. Yeah, that's on the perfect day thing. Oh, they have zip lining up there. So what happens is, we're going to try. We The schedule for the shows is not out yet. You know, we can book the cruise, but they don't know what the schedule of the shows are. We're going to try to schedule our stuff, like the live event that we do mm-hmm. and uh, uh, the little meet and greet and all that. We're going to try to schedule all of that stuff so it's not going on with other events on the ship. That way you can do everything. Oh, of course. You know, course. we don't want you to miss out on a magician or a comedian. No way. Because you're at our thing. We want to we want to do both. So we're going to find a way to schedule most of this stuff so you can get as much bang for your buck. All right. So now everybody's like, well, what's the price? What's the price? All right. Fair enough. All rooms are based on double occupancy. You've got two choices for cabins here. You've got an interior cabin, which basically doesn't have a, a window to be able to see out. Mm-hmm. It's just like a enclosed room. 
those are four eighty nine seventy four per person, and that is everything, guys. That's that's your taxes, that's your port fees, and all that. God, that is such a good price. And to show you how good of a price that is, port fees and and uh, taxes and stuff like like it's like three hundred dollars of that. <laughs> that's most of that. Of that four eighty nine. That is the craziest. So how how they base these prices? You're basically paying for the cabin. Okay, so I know it says per person, but it's based on double occupancy. So it means, you know, let's say you're a husband and wife or a boyfriend or girlfriend, and you go and you rent this one. It's four eighty nine per person. So that cabin's going to cost you what is it, uh, like nine hundred and sixty dollars. Mm-hmm. If you come by yourself and get that cabin, it's going to cost you nine hundred and sixty dollars. Oh yeah, so the more the merrier. Right, and then, but if you got most of these cabins will fit four people, so. If you've got like a husband and wife and you got two kids, you, do, you it's still only that same price. You know what I'm saying? So that cabin is the price of the cabin, whether you got two people, whether you got four people. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. So that's what the based on double occupancy means. Now for the the balcony cabins, and they're the ones that actually have a balcony you can walk out and stand at the ocean, mm-hmm. basically. Those are a little more expensive, six twenty nine seventy four. So roughly, you're looking at about. $1,260 a couple for those cabins. Like I said, let's say you've got three people. Maybe it's you and uh, you and two of your girlfriends or you and two of your boy, whatever the deal is, and you got three people. You can actually split that $1,300 or whatever between three people. Yeah. Because that's you're paying more for the room, not per person, really, yeah. if that makes sense. Right. So if you got four people or two couples that want to share a room, you're going to be cramped because the rooms aren't big. It's just the way they are on a ship. They're not big. You're well, going to cram- be in your room anyway. You're just going to be in there right. sleeping. Right. That's the beauty of it. You're not going to be in your room. You're not going to be in your room. So like when we go to a lot of these islands, you're going to be there. Like we get there at the perfect day. We get there at 7 o'clock, and I think we're there till 5 o'clock. Nice. So, I mean, that's where you're going to spend your time. And then when you're all on the ship, are you going to be in your room? No, you're probably going to be at the casino or you're going to be at one of the sports bars or you're going to be at the pool. So, yeah, don't don't worry about your room. All right. You know, just do what works best for you. To reserve a room, and there are only so many of these available. They've blocked them off for us. But to reserve your room, it costs $100. Once you've paid that $100, you've got till July 1st of next year to pay the rest of the cruise off. You can do that in little increments. You can throw $10 a month at it, and then eventually you just pay it all off when you get your taxes. Or you can set it up with the uh, um, travel agent, with people at, at, at Vacation Experts. You can set it up with them to where, say, hey, you book it now. And you want to have the other twelve hundred and something paid off by then? It's like seventy five dollars a month, and they can set it up to do that mm-hmm. to just take seventy five a month. There's a thousand different options you can do this, so that'll be something to keep in mind. But that's the cheapest way. And in those other rooms, the uh, interior rooms, it ends up being like fifty dollars a month mm-hmm. or something. Fifty dollars a month, and you can have a cruise paid for. You won't even you know, you won't have to worry about coming up with a big lump sum. Right. Or you can pay your hundred dollars down and pay it the July first. Just pay the whole rest of it. What I'm saying is you've got options. If you put your deposit down and you've paid money on it and you decide before July 1st that you cannot go for whatever reason, you can get a full refund. Yeah. No questions asked. That's amazing. But, but it's got to be before July 1st because right. that's kind of the deadline. That's They only give you so much time before the cruise leaves out. Yeah. That's the basics 
of it. It's going to be so much fun. I mean, you know, it's at Miami. It's leaving out of Miami. So obviously you'll have to find your way to Miami. So if you live in Florida or you live somewhere that's drivable, if not, you're going to have to fly there. So this only covers the cost of the cruise. Now, the people at Vacation Expert, Robin and Rachel, who are handling this for us, they can book all of your travel through them. They can. I was going to yeah. ask you that if if that was an uh, an option, if they wanted, if they could book like a flight for them, or right. and add it into the cost, or is that how? Well, they. they how does that work? I, I don't know how they how they do that part. That'd be something you'll have to ask Robin and, and Rachel about. I know they'll book the flights and the hotel and all that for you. And here's the beauty about going through them. Let's say that you just book a flight through I don't know Southwest. I'll just make up company. You book a flight through Southwest yourself, and they're late getting there, and you miss your boat. You're kind of screwed. But if you book it through a travel agent, and it goes through Royal Caribbean, they have a responsibility to get you to that boat. Right. So for some reason you miss your plane, and it's booked through them, they will fly you straight to where the boat is on one of those islands or whatever. They'll make sure you get there. So that's the beauty of doing it through them. So. Also, I think we need to bring up the point about um, passport, thing like that. So, if yeah. you want to get a passport, we just got ours. I would advise to do it just because you'll have it and forever, you know, if you want to go anywhere else. Um, if something happens that you miss the boat and you don't have a passport, what do they do? Yeah, here's the situation. Um, if you don't have a passport... Because this ship is leaving from Miami and coming back to Miami, they will allow you to go with a birth certificate, which is all fine and dandy. But in that scenario we just talked about, if you don't have a passport and you your flight's late and you missed the boat and they want to fly you to the Bahamas to catch up. You have to have the passport. You have to have a passport. They, you, they can't, you can't fly to the Bahamas without a passport, but you can go to the Bahamas on this ship without a passport so you'd be good you'll be good without a passport as long as you don't miss the boat and have to be flown there right so we're we're just telling you know if you don't have a passport it might be in your best interest just to get one i think they're good for like 10 years yeah they're good for 10 years you know in case you want to travel somewhere else lovely you know but we just wanted to make sure y'all knew that as well but you don't have to have one but you do run a risk if you miss the plane right or miss the, the ship initially. So. You ain't gonna miss no plane. Yeah, you're, pro- you miss you're pro- probably gonna be fine because especially if you I'm fly in, especially if you fly in the day before. Which right. We're leaving on a Monday at four four thirty on a Monday. So the best thing to do would be get there on a Sunday and just spend the night. Mm-hmm. And you know that way you know for sure. Right. Yeah, that way you know for sure. And there's plenty of uh, they got like I said, a travel agent can hook you up with people that can, you know, wherever you're staying, they can hook you up with the hotel and get you a shuttle to mm-hmm. the ship. All that can be taken True care of. True so. so like I said, here's I'm going to give you the number, uh, but it's on the website if you forgot it. It's Vacation Experts, 502, area code 502-899-7700. Robin Troops extension is 800. Rachel Troops is 808. Either one can help you. Tell them that you are part of the Hillbilly Horror Story Cruise so you get the discount and they make sure that everything gets booked the way it's supposed to and you get credit for everything else going on that's Yay. it we know that was like a long thing but we're so excited and we just cannot wait for everybody to go with us and it's just going to be a blast we're like so excited yeah you're going to be surrounded by paranormal people and, cool and true people. crime people 
and you're going to get to do all the other fun stuff that goes along I with know. it, and you're going to get great? to do it at a good price. Woohoo! So there we go. All right, guys, is that all we have for tonight, That's sweetheart? That's it. All right. Well, we hope you guys have a blessed week. We love y'all so much, and y'all take care of each other.